Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. All right, well, come on. Welcome to Love City Church this morning. What a great time in worship. Amen. For all of you watching online uh, at our watch parties, uh, as well as our, just online with us, uh, we have some people who are ready to chat with you. So if you have questions or prayer needs or you just want to give a shout out to us on your, uh, your computer or your iPad or your iPhone, you can just write there, text a little message on the bottom. There's actually uh, a place where you can take notes if you like. You can create an account, take notes, keep Bible scriptures, all sorts of stuff. So we'd love to hear from you. And then right again afterwards, my wife and I, along with Andrew and Brittany, would love to see you in our Zoom Discover online. And I promise you when you come back to our brand new building at Cardell Theater... Come on, if you're uh, near someone in your, in your home today, even if it's just your dog, I want you to look at him and say, God is good, dog. <laughs> Don't say that to your wife, though, because that won't end well. The best part about being online is I can make all the dumb jokes I want, and I don't know if they land or not. So I'll just keep going on the way I do things. So come on, we're going to keep going in our series. You know, when, um, before we started this last series, uh, Choosing a Life of Joy, um, uh, I, we were doing another, another series, and I just really felt the Lord tell me to change our direction and do a study through the book of Philippians for five weeks, and we called it uh, Choosing a Life of Joy, and little did I know uh, that we were going to be facing what we're facing today. Little did I know that I would be in a theater full of about 15 people who are helping us set all this up and uh, preaching live uh, only to our church, and you know, I, I went back and forth on this and realized something God, uh, God through my wife, thank God for my wife, really helped me remember that my role is not to teach to the world. My role is to be a pastor to the people who are in our church. And so if you're watching today, no matter where you're at or however you see this or whenever you see this later, I want you to know I got a word for you today. And uh, we are uh, just a church plant here. Three and a half years ago, we started our home and we're here today at Cardell Theater. Thank God this is our first Sunday in our new building. And we are expecting God to, to, to use our church to reach thousands of people in the city of Calgary, along with all the other great churches in the city. Um, but I just feel like the Lord wanted us to do uh, Choosing a Life of Joy. And how many of you know it seems pretty appropriate right now in our time and season that we need to choose a life of joy. And so I want to just quickly give you a little bit of background to Philippians again. And then we're going to walk through just a very simple message today that I felt the Lord uh, just prompted my heart late last night. He just spoke so clearly to me. And I believe this is going to encourage you. Uh, Paul wrote the book of uh, uh, Philippians. He wrote this book uh, while he was uh, in jail, awaiting to see if he was uh, going to be uh, killed or not. He was waiting for the sentencing verdict, whether or not he was going to be executed for being a blasphemer and being someone who uh, declared that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, or if he was going to have uh, freedom and be let go. And so here's uh, Paul in the prison. Uh, he, Even though he has some liberties, he's still in jail, uh, shackled and he's with all the prisoners and he's in this place where he is wanting to write letters to all the churches that he planted and the, the church of Philippi is one of those churches that he wrote to 
And uh, this church had a really special place in Paul's heart because the church of Philippi was always sending them gifts and sending them uh, uh, people to help them, help Paul. And, and really it was a great opportunity for, for Paul to really, really experience the love of a church. And so he really loved this church. And whenever he thought about the church and whenever he talked to the church, it brought him great, great joy as like a father was to a child, watching them succeed, watching them make good choices. And so Paul was really blessed by the church of Philippi, but it didn't change the reality that as he was writing this, this letter, he was sitting in prison waiting to find out if he was going to make it or not, if he was going to die or if he was going to be saved. And so that's quite a lot of pressure, not really knowing if after a two-year period, if you're going to make it, if you're going to live or you're going to die. And so here's Paul writing this letter. And what Paul had a mystical ability, this supernatural ability to understand uh, what, it, what life really boiled down to, what life really meant. Even though Paul was beaten and he was uh, stoned and he was persecuted and he was sick and he, he experienced a lot and he experienced a little and he, he had this ability to be content, to find this satisfaction in life and really his satisfaction was found in his personal relationship with Christ. He says, all these things that I have in my life, my job, my relationship, I realize now that nothing matters except for my relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing matters except knowing, having a personal relationship with and knowing Jesus. And Paul wrote this incredible verse that I read another version of this verse earlier in our series in the chapter four, but I want to read the chapter three version. Paul says this statement twice in his book. And this statement is a statement that just struck me as I read it uh, again. And I want to just give you three thoughts from this verse today. It's in Philippians 3.1. It's right on the screen, right in front of you. Uh, it says this, whatever happens, come on and around your home, look at one another and say, whatever happens. Whatever happens, let's try that again because the 10 people in this room did terrible. So at home, I want you to turn to the person next to you, even if it's your dog, because your dog needs Jesus too. Look at him and come on right now and say, come on, whatever happens. Whatever. Now you don't have to repeat me anymore because then some people will start repeating me and some won't and it'll be awkward. So whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, Paul says. Why? Because I do it to safeguard your faith. That's a powerful statement that Paul makes. He says, I'm going to say this over and over again to you. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, I'm going to keep saying these things to you. Why? Because I know that it safeguards your faith. There's three things I want to share with you from this verse today. Uh, three thoughts from this, this verse. Three thoughts about rejoicing in the Lord. And, and, and I kind of shared my first few thoughts in the, a few weeks ago, but I wanted to continue this vein, this thought, because honestly, throughout the entire book of Philippians, there's nothing else that Paul alludes to other than this one reality. And if you can get this one thing in your life, if you can understand what this means and what this looks like, you will experience the tremendously blessed life, the satisfied life, the content life, the relationship with God that he wants you to have all starts with your ability to find your joy, to find your satisfaction, to find your fulfillment in Christ alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else in this world will ever satisfy. So three thoughts. First thing is this. Rejoicing in the Lord, it's an attitude. I thought about this, and I'm going to get some more of this, but I thought how interesting it was that, 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 uh, that Paul used this language in the, the book of Philippians that 
rejoicing in the Lord is an attitude. Now, when I think of the word attitude, honestly, my first reaction was thinking of full house. You know, Michelle, whenever someone would talk mean to her, she'd say, how rude. <laughs> Remember that? Not just me? Okay. Maybe you're watching the Fuller House, but I'm back to Full House days because I'm old and I turn 38 in a week. So, yeah. Full House. How rude. It was this idea that, like, you know, she just gave a little attitude whenever somebody talked mean to her. Maybe it's your kids. You know, you tell your kids to clean up their bedroom. My son is really challenging, uh, and he'll say, you know, let's clean your, your, your bedroom. And he'll be like, but Brea doesn't have to, and it's because Brea's room is never dirty. <laughs> you like, that's why. So you need to, you know, how rude. You're so mean. It's like attitude. But sometimes you have an attitude maybe like Mr. Seven Andrew Ling, where everything's positive. It's just always a joke, and everything's, uh, you know, uh, the glass is always half full. And so he's got a good attitude. I think sometimes he's not telling the truth, though. <laughs> no, but he's always sees the glass half full, and it's a good attitude. So we got bad attitudes, and we got good attitudes. But an attitude is actually a point of view about a situation. An attitude is a settled way of thinking about something or someone, and it typically is reflected in your behavior and your thinking. And so an attitude is made up of your thoughts, an attitude is made up of your behavior, and an attitude is made up of your feelings. And so when something happens in our lives, when, uh, when we get sent home and we have to work at home with our spouse and they drive us bonkers, and now we wish that they were no longer working with you when you had romanticized this idea of working in the same house, and then you realize, I think, I want to hurt this person very badly, and you end up hitting them with your laptop or something like that. You end up being in the home with one another and you realize, oh my gosh, this is not as exciting as I thought it would. What happens is, is that our attitude is induced, is led by our feelings. And from those feelings comes our behavior and comes how we think. And so how we think and how we act in our life is immediately a response to how we feel about the situation. And so that is an attitude. But we have to understand something. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I can actually dictate our, our attitude. By choosing to rejoice in the Lord in our mind, let our actions respond and let our feelings follow suit. Your feelings cannot be the determining factor for your attitude on life because if you allow your feelings to drive your life, you are not rejoicing in the Lord. You're not rejoicing in the Lord because our attitude is led by how we think. Our attitude is led by how we act. And then we want our feelings to follow that. We have to dictate for yourself that I'm going to make a decision today that I'm not going to allow my feelings to determine how I think or act. I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to make sure that my mind and my actions are a reflection of choosing to rejoice in God, to choose that no matter what situation, no matter what happens, I'm going to put my faith in God. I'm going to put my hope in the Lord. I'm going to trust in Him. And when I trust in Him, my feelings, who aren't thinking that way, and, and I get the sensation of, of discouragement, or overwhelmed with doubt or fear, I say, feelings, you are going to play second fiddle to me rejoicing in the Lord first. It's an attitude. It's an attitude, and you have to understand that you and I have the ability, the internal ability to make that decision, to choose to have an attitude that chooses our mind and our actions will follow suit with, okay, I'm going to trust in the Lord. 
There's an illustration, interesting illustration, if you look at an airplane pilot. And when an airplane pilot actually uses this word attitude when they're landing the plane, it's, they describe, the, the, the attitude is how you describe the horizontal relationship with the runway when they land. And so if their attitude isn't aligned properly, the plane will make contact with the ground at the wrong angle and it will crash. And so when a pilot is landing, they got to make sure that their, the attitude is correct or if they don't have their attitude right, when they try to land, they'll crash. they got to make sure their attitude is right. they got to make sure the attitude's in the right spot. they got to make sure that it's balanced. they got to make sure that it's level. they got to make sure that it's right. they got to make sure that it's focused on the right things. When you look at that runway and you see the lights and you see the, the person directing you, that is the Holy Spirit. That's God's word. That's Jesus. That's his faithfulness. And you say, okay, i got to get my attitude level with who God is and not allow this to dictate my emotions because my emotions cannot control the direction of my life. We have to recognize that we have a, that rejoicing in the Lord is an attitude and it's easier to change how you think and how you act than it is to change how you feel. How we feel is almost impossible. When you're sad and when you're anxious and when you're frustrated, and you don't like the situation that you're in. And so what happens is that we want the feeling to go away quickly. So instead of listening, commanding in our mind and our actions to rejoice in the Lord, we allow our feelings to drive us. And so we want to change the emotion immediately. And so we often try to change other people to make ourselves feel better. Or we try, we, and that doesn't work. Or maybe we turn to drugs or alcohol or pornography. Or, or maybe it's overeating or maybe overspending. We turn to other things. We try to, to cope with our feelings of being overwhelmed. And so we satisfy ourselves with these other things. When in reality, you recognize every single time that it does not work to allow your attitude to be set by your emotions. And you try to correct it, and we try to spend more money, and we try to figure it all out, we try to control the situation, and we recognize that every single time it does not work, and our initial tendency is to focus on our feeling, when in reality we should engage our mind and our behavior in saying, God, you are good, I will rejoice in you. So if you want to change your feelings, you're going to have to start elsewhere. You have to change how you think, you have to change how you act. Here's a quote for you. A happy person is not a person in a certain set of circumstances, but a rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. But according to God's word, God's word teaches us that when you become a Christian, you become part of a new creation and there is a new development of your attitudes. Look at this in Ephesians 4, 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. <laughs> we have to let the Holy Spirit change our attitude by saying, okay, son and daughter, you cannot be led any longer by how you feel you're a new man, you're a new woman, your spirit is, man is now in charge, your soul is no longer in charge. And in order for you and I to truly rejoice in the Lord amongst COVID-19, amongst job loss, amongst finances, we have to recognize that if you're allowing your emotions to drive the bus of your life, the plane will crash, the bus will crash. And we have to allow ourselves, recognize, it's an attitude check. How's your attitude? Is your attitude focused on the situation or is your attitude focused on the one who can help us through the situation? <laughs> and Paul actually uses this and he uses this phrase and this is what got me thinking about this in Philippians uh, 2.5. It 
So he just finished talking about relationships. And he talks about, he says this, okay, I'm your dad. I planted the church. I'm like a spiritual father to you. And he says, if you want to bring me great joy, if you, church, want to give me interest before your own, lay down your own ambitions and serve someone else. Stop trying to get ahead of everybody else and lay down your own way. And then he says this incredible phrase in verse five of chapter two, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's a crazy thought. So you should actually have the same attitude that Jesus had. Ryan, what kind of attitude did Jesus have? Well, if we look at the verse that followed that, the very verse, verse after that, in verse 6, 7, and 8, and 9, talks about the idea that Jesus, when he came to earth, he rejected equality with God. When Jesus came to earth, he put on a human form. He died a criminal's death for you and for me, which we did not deserve it. He served us when we didn't deserve it. He put his interest, uh, our interest before his when, when we don't deserve it. Jesus chose the, the, the very garment of a human and he put that on his life and he rejected the idea of God. And it says that Jesus understood that the way to bring glory and joy to my dad was by laying my life down for someone else. And here Paul is using this idea of attitude, and I find it interesting that here Jesus was looking at the cross. And how many of you know today, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Jesus didn't want to be crucified. Jesus didn't want to go to Golgotha. Jesus didn't want to be whipped to the point of being unrecognizable. He didn't want to do that just like you don't want to work at home, just like you don't want your job to get lost, just like you don't want your finances to be out of, uh, out of order, just like you want your relationships. I don't want to have to go through this season where we have to go through a financial difficulty. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through the potential of getting sick, and I don't want to go through the potential of everything shutting down. None of us wants to go through the realities of COVID-19. Not a single person on the planet wants it, except for those who get to go home and binge watch Netflix, and they've been wanting to do that, and then they'll do it after two days and feel sick in the stomach and want to go back to work. <laughs> None of us want to do these things. None of us wants to lay down our life for somebody who hurt us and abandoned us and, and ruined, you know, spoke ill to us and talked bad about us or somebody who said a word to us that we've been holding against them or somebody who's been treating us improperly or we don't have a good communication skills with or we're not able to connect. None of us here wants to go through the realities of what it means to actually lay our lives down for someone else. But Jesus looked at the cross and the Bible says that he looked at the cross and he endured it knowing that on the other side there was joy. He knew that if he could endure this season with faith in God, that on the other side of this challenging season, the Father received pleasure. When Jesus went to the cross, it brought him great joy. In Hebrews 12, too, keep your eyes on Jesus, our leader and instructor. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would come afterwards. So think about it for a minute. In your life right now, whatever challenging thing that you're facing, if you can consider it joy, my dear brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, if you can look at this situation and say, I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord. Guess what? You might not feel it. You might go through this season where it's financially tight or you're in a difficult circumstance in a relationship or you might be experiencing sickness or something in your life and you're saying, man, I don't have any joy. If you choose to have joy in your life, not because you're going to feel the emotions of joy, but because you know that it's bringing great joy to your father. Amen. And what happens when we bring joy to our father? He pours out his joy into our lives. 
The same way that my daughter, my son, when they do something and they press through, and I know when my daughter had struggled in a while in a certain area of, of, of a subject at school, and she pressed in and she pressed in through tears and difficulty, pressed in, and this last year she got threes and fours on her, and I, which brought me such joy, and guess what I did? I lavished my joy on her. I lavished my love on her. Why? Because she chose to endure with joy despite the fact that I don't want to do it. And that attitude is something that Jesus carried. He held it. He walked with it. He endured it. Every time we face this COVID-19 challenge, you face a financial difficulty, you face this hopeless situation that you're in, know that if you can choose to trust in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord, it might not, you might not experience the emotions of joy. You might not have the euphoric feelings of happiness and excitement during the season, but it will come afterwards because God will give it to you because you made him happy by responding the way Christians should respond the way disciples should respond by saying Jesus whatever happens I'm going to rejoice in you here's the second thought second thought here today is this rejoicing in the Lord refocuses us it's a moment right now for us to reef in this season where we're facing the craziest thing I've ever experienced I mean honestly like it's crazy right I mean Businesses are shut down, malls are shut down, dentist offices are shut down. What is happening? <laughs> I mean, this is, a, I, this is like a movie. This is like, like, can you even make this up? I mean, so I saw a funny quote that said, April Fool's Day is canceled because nobody can make this up. <laughs> like, this is an April Fool's joke in and of itself. Like, what is happening? Whenever we face a moment in our life where it knocks us, it, off kilter. It's a moment for us to refocus, to rethink about what matters, to refocus on our lives. And here's where we go wrong. Here's where we have the most challenge in getting out of focus. When you and I focus on what happens next. When you and I spend all of our time, especially with this disease, we don't know when this whole thing's going to shut down. We don't have, you know, uh, Trudeau getting on there saying, okay, guys, it's going to end on March 29th at 7.55. You know, it's like we have no idea. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to have a job tomorrow. We don't know where our finances are going to come from. Hey, guess what? Welcome to living by faith. <laughs> Welcome to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, where we trust that our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that he is faithful and just to those who love him and give their lives to him. This is a season of your life where you can refocus yourself and stop looking at tomorrow. And that's what we do. We look at tomorrow. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with my stocks? What's going to happen with my health? What's going to happen with my career? All the fear of tomorrow and the fear of what if my kid gets sick or what if my grandfather gets sick or what if this person gets sick and maybe you are sick and then you're, so, you're, you're past getting sick. Now you're like, well, what happens next? We have this fear about tomorrow and, and, and Jesus actually used very similar language to Paul in the scripture, rejoice in the Lord always. Jesus used very, very powerful language that I want you to hear today and I never realized the, real, the meaning of this verse in this context and Jesus is talking about his relationship with his father and then he talks about you and me as disciples and John 15, five, seven and eight says, yes, I, Jesus, am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit so no matter what's going on around you if you're remaining in him and he was remaining in you you're going to produce fruit 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it's going to be granted. Hmm. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory, great joy to my Father. That word remain there is actually the word to continue to be present, to continue to be in the moment, to continue to stay, to stand, no matter what, to let nothing move me, to be present right now in this moment. When you rejoice in the Lord, you're not rejoicing in what he will do only. You're not rejoicing in what he has done. You are rejoicing in what he is doing right now in your life behind the scenes come on even when you don't see it he's working even when you don't feel it he's working you don't see what god's doing for your life but if you choose to recognize it right now when your focus is getting on the tomorrow jesus says don't worry about tomorrow tomorrow has enough trouble of its own worry about today that's what remaining in Jesus looks like. Remaining in Jesus does not mean that you have a financial trajectory of your stock output at the end of 30 days. Trusting in Jesus and remaining means you're going to know what's going to happen for the next four hours, and that might just be it. What am I going to have for dinner? I don't know. We don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. See, we're not in a world where we live like that. We have to understand that that's what this season's all about. During this crazy outbreak, you think, man, I got a plan, I got to do that. We get more busy than we were before, and God gave us the gift of sitting at home on our butts with our family, and we're complaining. We got to do more, got to do more. God's like, no, chill out. I'm making everyone take a Sabbath. <laughs> take a 14 day Sabbath on me and relax and be present with me. Amen. Rejoicing in the Lord refocuses us and it says this is what true discipleship looks like so when you're feeling stressed and frustrated and out of sorts and you're confused and you're afraid that's the season when God wants to produce fruit you think the season of fruit only comes when you're making the most money you think the season of fruit comes when you're jiving in all cylinders and all your relationships man everything is awesome everything is awesome sorry just Legos yeah. <laughs> we think that when our life is blessed, that's fruit. But the fruit in your life comes when you're forced to remain in Jesus because you can't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't have any idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm in a job, I'm not going to have a job. I don't know if I'm going to work at home forever. I don't know if this is going to exist or that's going to exist. Or what's going to happen in this relationship or my dad got sick. I don't know what's going to happen there. Oh, I don't have any idea. All I know is that I'm just going to be present right now. I'm going to remain in him and he's going to remain in me. And guess what? As I do that, I'm going to begin to bear much fruit and I don't feel it. I don't always see it. What happens is I'm bringing great glory to my father. And guess what happened? What does, ha what does God do? What does your father do when you bring great glory and joy to him? He pours out his joy in your life <laughs> so you're searching for joy in, ass in assurances of your finances you're searching for joy in the assurances of your health you're searching for joy in the assurances of safety and protection your only assurance that you should have today is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that he's the author and the finisher of our faith and that he's the beginning and that he is the end and that he is the healer and he's the transformer and he makes all things new and he guides us and he protects us and he leads us and we are the sheep of his pasture and he owns a cattle on a thousand hill and no weapon formed against us shall prosper that's all I know I'm gonna know that tomorrow but I only have enough capacity to worry about that today 
today. Last one is this, and then we'll end our time together. Rejoicing in the Lord safeguards our faith. Man, I just found this so fascinating that Paul said, listen, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He said, I want you to know something. I keep saying this to you over and over again because it's going to safeguard your faith. It struck me, and I, as, a, as the pastor of City Church, as the shepherd, as the, the shepherd underneath the, the great shepherd, Jesus, I was, I was um, very grieved by this statement because my fear would be that we, in this season, sheep would scatter. At the faith of the house of God, the faith of those who are connected to our church and the faith of those who, who are watching today in all the churches that you're in, that my fear as a pastor in the city and as a pastoral heart would be that people would begin to lose their faith in a mighty God. They begin to ask these existential big questions like, why would God do this? Guess what? God didn't do this. Our God's a good God. He's a faithful God. We live in a fallen world, in a fallen reality. Guess what we do know about our God, though? He is faithful to protect you. He is faithful to help you through it. He's faithful to guide you. This is a season of our lives where when the world is falling upside down, this is a season where our joy can be stolen from us. Paul knew that he needed to safeguard their faith. Paul knew that in the trial that they were facing, the church of Philippi was facing persecution and they were being challenged. And Paul knew that this was a season of their life where they could actually experience depression and despondency and fall away from their God and go into an autopilot, pharisaical, middle ground religion where they trusted in the traditions of Christianity and not the very creator named Jesus. Slip into this, okay, if I go to church and I give my money and I do all these right things, then God will bless me. No, 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 no. He blesses you no matter what you do because he loves you. This is a very thing I thought found interesting. There's two sides to this word um, safeguard. The first word is to make sure that you don't fail. Jesus actually talked about this. The disciples were about to lose their very best friend, Jesus. He kept talking about how he was going to die. And it was confusing to the disciples. What do you mean you're going to die? What do you mean you're going to be brutally crucified? Makes no sense to us, Jesus. So here they are. They're gathered around. They're talking about this, this difficult reality that our closest friend, the one who we thought was going to lead uh, the, 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 uh, the resurgence on Rome, and the one who was going to be the great king, and they had all these ideas and expectations about how their life was going to turn out. And then COVID-19 hit, and everything went away. Then this news that Jesus is going to be crucified. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, look what he says in, in Luke chapter 22, 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. That word sifted there means to agitate your faith to the point of a 19. Well, I don't know if the devil did it or not, but you know what I know the devil does want to do? Wants to overthrow your faith in this season. He wants to get you focused on the disease and focused on the, the market crash and focused on the nations and the conspiracy theories. He wants to get you focused on the fact that, man, this person didn't love me and that person hurt me and that church wasn't there for me or this thing happened or that thing happened. The devil wants to overthrow your faith. He wants to sift you like wheat. 
we have to remember something that Paul said this to the church to remind them that no matter what you face, no matter what circumstances you go through, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to keep saying this to you to safeguard your faith so that you're not agitated. Why would Satan want to do this? Because he knows that when our faith is aggravated and decreased, it diminishes our response to God. Our passion goes away. Our hope goes away. Our love leaves. Our selfishness steps in. And that's when we become focused on what I want and my protection and my safety. And it's just about me. And we keep other people out. And we have isolated. And we're alone. And we're no longer in the body. That's what the devil wants to do in this season in church. I want you to hear me today. Do not isolate yourself from community. You got a phone, pick it up and video chat somebody or text somebody. Stay engaged. Don't back up and allow the devil to sift you like wheat. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the community that God has given you. We've got all sorts of great opportunities with groups, groups online, our pursue nights, doing a watch party on Sundays, all these different opportunities. Please do not get isolated and allow the enemy to bring depression and discouragement and fear and doubt. Lean into relationship in this season, not out away from it. Don't be led by fear. The second thought here, and then we'll, we'll close here. The second thought about this word safeguard is to make sure your faith is certain and true. He says, the reason I want to keep saying this to you is because during this season, I want to make sure that you truly are who you say you are. That your faith is certain and that your faith is true that it will not fail and that it will not falter and that there won't be grumbling and there won't be complaining. But you'll remember that our God is a faithful God. That our God is a faithful, faithful God. I want to read a few verses, then I'm going to read one last thing here. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. How about this one? To remember that we can never, ever lose our relationship with Christ. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to remember that God created everything you see. He breathed everything into existence. Remember when his people were caught up in slavery. He rescued them. What he did was he parted the sea and he made a way for them and then he delivered the enemies to them and he unlocks wombs and he provides water from a rock and he provides manna from heaven and he brought down the walls of Jericho and he froze the sun allowing victory and he toppled giants with tiny stones and he, he, he brought fire from heaven and he shuts the mouth of lions and he preserved life in the belly of a whale and he fed thousands with just a few loaves and he gives the weak strength and he heals the sick 
and he made the blind see and the deaf hear and the mute speak and the lame walk he's overcome evil and he's made a way through Jesus for with through his death for you and by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ you will live with him forever and ever and ever and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever so what are we afraid of his resume is flawless he controls everything and he loves you very much Come on, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to keep saying it because it's going to safeguard your faith. Rejoicing in the Lord is an attitude that we must have. We must choose to not allow our feelings dictate our lives. Rejoicing in the Lord is a chance for us to refocus on what really matters, to refocus our priorities on Him and Him alone. Rejoicing in the Lord is an opportunity for us to safeguard our faith, to truly make sure that during the season of uncertainty, everything else can be uncertain. But I know my relationship with Jesus is the most certain thing in my life. Come on, if you're in your house today, why don't you stand to your feet for a moment and I'm just going to lead you in a time of prayer. I'm not sure if there's somebody watching today who maybe uh, does not have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life. And if you were here today, I would identify two groups of people, one group of people today who came in the house of God and maybe you're far from him. Maybe you need prayer today. Maybe you're like, man, that hit me today. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm feeling discouraged and broken and I just need partnership and I want to give my life back to Jesus. I would have you raise your hand. So maybe you're in a, a, a house party or you're at a watch party and you're hanging out. And maybe you want to put your hand in there and that's you. You need some prayer. There's going to be some people there who are going to pray with you today. But I want to talk to this second group of people. Maybe you're watching today and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. You say, Ryan, I like what you said today. That I can go through the whole world falling apart and I can still be secure. I can go through my finances falling apart and my marriage falling apart. All the things that are happening in my life, the whole world could be crumbling around me and I can have an assurance and a trust and a hope that never fails. Yes, that's for you. And Jesus died on the cross and he rose on the third day and he did that to give you life, not only on this planet, but in the life to come. So if you're here at your home or you're at a watch party or maybe you're just watching us somewhere, some way, you're watching us somewhere on the internet and you'd like to give your, your life to Jesus Christ, I'd like you just to bow your head with me and I'm going to say a prayer. Pray that with me and then we'd love to meet you. You can email us at info at lovecitychurch.ca. If you gave your life to Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to send you a Bible. We'd love to get connected to you. And then we'd love to meet you on our Discover on our Zoom chat in just a moment. Come on, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I just come to you right now. And I recognize that I need you in my life. I recognize that I can't do this on my own. I recognize that I am broken and lost without you. So Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my life and I ask you to come into my heart and wash me clean, wash away my sin. I want to start a journey with you today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.